Welcome to Stand Forever, the podcast based on the truth that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Stand Forever originated from the First Baptist Church in Kearney, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. Our teacher is Ken Parker, the church's senior pastor. There's no question the Apostle Paul was a force to be reckoned with. People inside the church recognize he was a key figure in the life of the early church, and what he said, he said with authority from God. Those outside the church wrongly attach negative labels to him because they don't understand biblical inspiration. We'll be learning from the Apostle Paul through his first letter to the Corinthians. The title of the series is Called to be Saints Together which is what Paul reminds the Corinthian church they were to be. Now for today's teaching, here's Ken. I remember years ago saying in a sermon that I didn't like to end a sentence with a preposition. And then I said, and some of you are wondering, what would I bring that up for? (laughs) And about four or five of us got it. Well, most of us are taught that A preposition is not a good word to end a sentence with or with which to end a sentence. It's not a good way to end a sentence. You guys remember that, I trust, from school. Now, I know that some of the rules have changed and some things are more acceptable than they used to be. Anyway, you may have heard about the young boy who was homesick with a cold and he managed to come up with a sentence that ends with five prepositions in a row. He said, Mom, why did you bring that book I didn't want to be read to out of up for? Well, the truth is, sometimes it might be hard to figure out how to end a sentence without a preposition. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. In fact, it's hard to figure out how to end a lot of things. And that's where we find ourselves this morning as we come to the conclusion of our study through 1 Corinthians. How do we put a bow on this particular study? How do we wrap it up? We've dealt with so many different subjects over about a year and a half. Throughout our time together, Paul has taught us repeatedly about God's faithfulness. He's taught us about the power of the gospel, believers' baptism, division in the church, how sexual immorality defiles the church. He's talked about lawsuits among believers, church discipline, marriage, divorce, human sexuality, singleness. He's talked about guarding against wounding another believer's conscience, idolatry, head covers in worship, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts. We spent a lot of time dealing with that. He's talked about love, talked about resurrection bodies, and then even last time we were together, he taught us about giving. That's a lot, a lot of different subjects really, isn't it? And today we come to the end of this letter as Paul is going to offer the Corinthian Christians, and by extension us as well, some final instructions. So our final installment of Call to Be Saints Together, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we'll begin our reading with the 12th verse. I'll invite you to stand please for the reading of God's holy word. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, 
Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. For our Bible reading this next year as a church family, we're going to focus on the Old Testament in its entirety. We'll make available some very simple guides that will help you schedule as well as track your reading through the Old Testament. Now, let me be clear. I would certainly encourage you to continue to read the New Testament as well, but the fact of the matter is Bible readers typically don't need encouragement to read the New Testament. They need encouragement to read the Old. So we're going to be reading the Old Testament together all year. We're calling it, are you ready? What would Jesus read? (laughs) Because the Old Testament was exactly what Jesus would read. The Old Testament was, in fact, the Bible of Jesus. Make sense? Anyway, one of the reasons that I am so looking forward to this particular reading plan is because of the characters. The biographical information, the stories of Old Testament people are fascinating. Think about all of the people that we read about and who we meet in the Old Testament, Adam and Eve. Don't you want to have a conversation with them? You know what they did, right? Noah, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Job, David, and Jonathan. Think about them. All of these great people that we will end up reading about. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, Samuel, Saul, and on and on. So what would Jesus read? He would read the Old Testament, and we hope you will too. Now let me be clear. It stands alone. The Old Testament stands alone all by itself, but it sets up so much related to our understanding of the New Testament to the point, I brought that up because the characters in Scripture matter. The characters in Scripture matter. That's true in the Old Testament. That's true in the New Testament. And it is certainly true in the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians. Paul mentions several people that mean a lot to him. So a detour, a kind of side road, if you will, and then four main points. Here's the detour. Simply put, the characters matter. The characters matter. I want to take a moment and remind us about who Paul mentions. Apollos, Stephanus, and his relatives, Fortunatus, Achaicus, Aquila, and Prissa, not to mention the churches of Asia. 
These were people who, for various reasons, were near and dear to the heart of Paul. He says about some of them that they refreshed my spirit. I love, don't you? I love to be around people who do that for me, people who refresh my spirit. It was important for Paul to have people like that around too, people who would refresh his spirit. It was important for Jesus to have people around like that as well. We get a good picture, in fact, of the friendship of Jesus, what he shared with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And the picture that emerges is of going to a friend's home where it could be a place of refuge for Jesus. He could unwind and not have to worry about being on at any given moment. Those kinds of friendships are a gift, aren't they? When you have people that you can hang out with and they refresh your spirit, that's a gift. Now, the problem is when we read this in the New Testament, we have the tendency to gloss over the names. They don't sound like names that we hear these days, right? So the ancient sound has a tendency to cause us to sort of push them to the back of our minds and just read through them quickly, gloss over them another time, another place. Probably not all that important after all, but they were important to Paul, right? In fact, so much so that for some 2,000 years, these names have been a part of Holy Writ. They're important to Paul. So what does he do? It's kind of like when you're talking to a friend and you have a mutual friend or maybe a mutual acquaintance, you might say something like, hey, by the way, be sure and tell him hello for me. I wonder how is he doing after all or how is she? That's how it works. We know this. We think of people who have been helpful to us in our life and we might have occasion to send them greetings. But we especially think about people who have been helpful to us in our life from the Christian point of view. We can sometimes even get nostalgic thinking about them. Paul did. Paul did. And we can do that too. I think about my friend Larry Brandt. I've told you guys countless Larry Brandt stories through the years. He's sworn to secrecy, by the way, if he ever gets to come back and visit here. His parents, Ima and Jay, took me to church every Sunday and took me to lunch after church on Sunday. My parents had not yet started attending church in those days, and they cared enough about me to pick me up and to take me to church for a time. I think about Judy Goliner who asked me to lead her third grade Sunday school class in singing a few songs and I was just a kid myself. I think about Bucky Phillips who encouraged me to do my best. He became my best friend. He encouraged me to sing for the glory of God. I think about Scott Perry. Scott came and preached here in our church about 16 years ago, and I remember Scott stood by me when some other guys did not stand by me. Some other pastors, in fact, did not stand by me when I took my first senior pastor position. They didn't think a young man had any business pastoring a church like I was called to pastor. I think about Mike Copeland, who stood for me in a church setting at a time I needed a friend to stand I think about Scott Wallace who said, yeah, we can help you guys plant a church, and we did. In fact, I could name all kinds of names from my past, all kinds of people that have been good to me and encouraged me and refreshed my spirit, but the truth is, I could name a lot of names of people here who have stood with me and stood with our church when we here have faced some challenges. What a blessing. I mean, man, what a blessing they are. 
I think of guys that have helped me every time I've had some issue that I've had to sort of muddle through and try to figure out whether that's been something at church or something at home. I think about Bob Kleinschmidt and Dan Stammen and the times that we have solved the world's problems over breakfast at Cracker Barrel or Corner Cafe. If only the world would listen to us. Thank you. My mama came back from heaven. Thank the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. That's, that's great. That is great. If, if only the world would listen. I could go on and on, but Christmas is coming and we've got to move on with this sermon. The truth is, I wish, I wish I could tell you the whole truth, but some of the stories would really be hard for you to believe. God's been good, though, and God's people have been good. Who made a difference for you? Who took you to Sunday school or church? Did you have a special teacher that took an interest in you and helped you develop some gift? Maybe you had a youth worker who saw something in you that others didn't see. Maybe someone has helped you with some home project even. Perhaps you've had some friends that have stood with you when you felt the winter winds of heartache about to blow your house down. Love them. You hear me? Cherish them. Thank God for them. They're a gift. Now, all the aforementioned names that I shared from my perspective may not mean much to some people, but when those names pass across my lips, if I let myself, my eyes would start leaking. These people and countless others have meant so much to me through the years. And I hope and pray you've got people in your life like that too. And while I should never be mentioned in the same sentence with Paul, I understand that. We're kindred spirits after all. Paul had his people and by God's grace, I've had my people too. And people, the characters in the theater of our life, the people are what matter. Sometimes they bring reproof to us. Sometimes they refresh our spirit. Sometimes they just give us the opportunity to rest. And sometimes the truth is, they even make us laugh. A friend of mine we'll call Glenn, because his name is Glenn, sent me an advertisement. If you don't get this, ask somebody about it after church. Here's what the ad says, and bear in mind, Glenn sent this to me. This is to inform the general public that we are at the moment running a part-time advertisement program contributing our part to help humanity. Folgers Coffee would like to put a 15 by 12 inch sticker on your car or truck. We are looking to recruit individuals nationwide that would like to make money by simply driving their car with Folgers Coffee graphics. Sometimes my friends have jokes. At any rate, and please don't miss this, the characters matter. The characters matter. Well, four main thoughts this morning. First of all, I want you to recognize Paul's clarification. Paul's clarification, verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Can you imagine receiving a request from the Apostle Paul and saying, not just yet? 
Paul's clarification. Notice the warmth in Paul's words. He says, our brother Apollos. The Corinthians wrote Paul a letter requesting Apollos to visit them, and Paul explains why Apollos hasn't done so. He has, in fact, encouraged Apollos to visit them, which demonstrates there is absolutely no competition between them. They were teammates with the same goal of making disciples of however many people they could. And Paul simply reminds them, Apollos will come, Apollos will get here when he has the chance. Paul, in fact, clarifies some important things to these believers. And the truth is, I think it behooves Christians today to pay attention to this. Have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed how so often among Christians, people simply believe the worst. Have you ever noticed that? I'm the only one, okay. Can't you hear the Corinthians murmuring now? I thought Apollos cared. I guess we really don't matter all that much to him, kind of like the island of misfit toys. I guess Apollos is so important, he just can't make time for us. I guess we really don't matter all that much to him. And Paul clarifies. He makes it clear he has strongly urged Apollos to come for a visit. And I'm sure that that strong urging was so that Apollos might come and offer a word of encouragement to the church. But he makes it clear that contrary to what some undoubtedly thought, he and Apollos are not are not in competition. In fact, he speaks well of him. He makes it clear that when Apollos has the opportunity, he'll come to visit. Apollos has been invited, but the timing wasn't quite right, and when he can, he'll come visit. End of story. That was it. People spend a lot of time trying to read into things something that just isn't there. That's been happening since the beginning of the church, and it happens in, among the body of Christ to this very day. Sometimes, in fact, sometimes, often, in fact, what you see is what you get. There's no backstory, no hidden meaning and explanation that's been given is all there is. No more, no less. Paul would say, let it go, quoting from Frozen. So Paul's clarification. Secondly, I want you to see not only Paul's clarification, but Paul's exhortation. Paul's exhortation, verse 13 and following, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done, say this with me, in love. This is Paul's exhortation. Paul is now going to sort of step up and offer some rapid-fire commands. Be watchful, he begins with. The word that's translated here carries with it the idea of constant readiness. Always be prepared, be aware. But it begs the question, why? For what reason? In context, Paul is talking about being on your guard against anything that might lead you away from the truths of the gospel. Be watchful. There are so many, in fact, countless things that easily lead us away from a gospel-centric life. These days, in fact, I would say to you, anything that captures our attention more than Jesus is something about which we ought to be on guard Church history demonstrates that at times the church has thought, 
Education trumped the gospel. The idea at certain periods of church life and in church history, there were believers that thought we should just educate people, and if we educate them well enough, then they'll sort of make their way into the kingdom. Some have thought that social ministries trump the gospel. If we just feed people and clothe people and provide housing for people, never mind, we don't have to talk to them about heaven and hell and the gospel and the fact that Jesus died on their behalf. Social ministries, they thought, trump the gospel. Some have thought politics trump the gospel. And frankly, some have thought Trump trumps the gospel. Be careful. Be careful, brothers and sisters. Don't sacrifice your birthright in Jesus for some bread and lentil stew. Stand firm in the faith. Secondly, not only be watchful, but stand firm in the faith. This is connected to the idea of conviction. Be firmly committed to what you believe. Don't give up. Did you hear me? Don't give up. We live in a world that is at, at all points speaking against the body of Christ and all that we stand for and all that we believe and all that we're striving to do. And my encouragement to you, brothers and sisters, even as the Apostle Paul would say, stand firm in the faith, don't give up. I think that's a fitting encouragement for the church these days. And then Paul says, act like men. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Paul's about to get in trouble. Act like men, be strong. Now Paul's going to get in trouble and be accused of sexism. What does he mean here? Act like men translates a word that means conduct oneself in a courageous way. We need ongoing courage in the church, don't we? The truth of the matter is, it's not easy to live in such a way that you're swimming against the tide always or always going against the grain. The encouragement is not to go the way of the world, and the encouragement even these days is not to go the way of some churches, not to go the way of some entire denominations. We need to stand firm in the faith. We need to live courageously for Christ. We have experienced seismic shifts in the culture And even in the church at large, these days you recognize the church, not just the culture, but the church is willing to accept behaviors and beliefs that five years ago and certainly ten years ago would have never made their way into mainstream Christianity. Stand firm. Stand firm, Paul would say. Be courageous. We can't answer for the culture but we can answer for our role in the church. Stick with what you know is true and right and righteous. I don't care how many churches or how many denominations end up going the wrong way. You don't have to. You don't have to. I don't have to. We collectively don't have to. Sometimes it will feel as if we're storming hell with a water pistol. That's okay. Storm it anyway. Remember the quote from my elder? You don't remember because it was last week. You don't remember anything I tell you guys. (laughs) From my elder preacher friend that I shared, he said, if you don't meet the devil every day of your life, it's probably because you're going the same way he is. 
And then Paul would say, let all that you do be done in love. This is a recapitulation of 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul reminds his readers, remember, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But Paul says, but the greatest of these is what? Love. The greatest is love. Yesterday at the Joyful Giveaway, we met people. We fed people. We shared the gospel with people. We gave them haircuts and groceries and offered some health education. We got toys for their children. We got gifts for their parents. And we offered clothing to many of them as well. And all of that was done because of one thing. Love. Love. We love, the Bible reminds us, because He first loved us. And that's just as it should be. Someone might say about such generosity, because you know, a lot of you guys were there, you know it's a lot of work, it's a lot of effort, it's a lot of energy, it's a lot of money, it's a lot of time. Someone might say about such generosity, well, what if someone is taking advantage of you? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever taken advantage of God? Aren't you glad that God doesn't limit His help for us when we've been doing everything right? So Paul's clarification, Paul's exhortation. Thirdly, Paul's commendation, beginning with verse 15. Paul's commendation. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints, be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. This is Paul's commendation. Paul is now simply illustrating what he said that we're to do in the previous verse. Let everything be done in love. He highlights what Stephanus and his family have done for the church, and he further mentions Fortunatus and Achaicus for the very same reasons. And he says, be subject to these. Follow men like this. Good church leadership is worthy of respect and followership. Now listen, let me be clear. I live in the real world, the same world that you do, and I recognize there are, in fact, and there have always been, in fact, at times, ungodly leaders that have been parts of churches. I am never in any way excusing bad behavior, but rather I'm highlighting the good, even as Paul was doing. I'm so grateful for the many good church leaders I've had the privilege to follow, and I'm grateful for the many good church leaders I've had the privilege to serve alongside. I'm thankful for the many good church leaders that are a part of this church family. Paul is commending the church leaders who serve well, not just anybody, but those who serve well. And he is commending the church in general for following them under the leadership of the Holy Spirit in order for a church to be most effective and faithful. It takes good people in leadership and good people in followership, if I can say it that way. Paul says of those who helped him that they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Isn't that beautiful? 
Paul had his spirit refreshed. I am so grateful to God that God has always put people in my life just the right time, just the right place to refresh my spirit. That's a great gift, one of the many that I celebrated Christmas. And so many of you, listen, so many of you, in fact, comprise that gift to me. Paul says, give recognition to such people. Now, time won't permit me to name them all. So please don't anybody get rattled that I don't name your name. But I think about so many people in the life of our church, and there are stories connected to them that I could sit around and talk about all day, but I'm not going to do that because I need this job. (laughs) I think obviously about my wife, Lori, 34 years she has stood by me as we have done what it is we've been privileged to do. I think about people like Pat and Diane McGuire. You can't know everything that goes into the joyful giveaway. You can't know everything that goes into being chairman of deacons or other things that Pat's a part of. You just can't know everything about all that. Now, obviously, you know in relationship to the joyful giveaway, it takes a lot of people to pull off that ministry but it takes good leadership to organize it all, and that's what Diane has done. She and Pat and Lexi and so many of you guys, but she, and she's going to hate me for saying this, but she ran the show. I told somebody in the second service, Diane was kind of like the joyful giveaway Nazi. <laughs> but I mean that in a really good way. Now, she's going to say tomorrow morning, Dr. Parker, what did you mean by Nazi? That, I was up all night worried about what that meant. You know what I mean. You need somebody to be in charge of that, and she was in charge of that. In fact, the pathway, the Missouri Baptist Convention paper, called me about the joyful giveaway, wanted to do a story on that, which I think is wonderful because that's going to let other churches know what this is all about and might give them the idea to do the same thing. And so he's asking me all these questions, all these, and I said, hey, I said, if you don't mind, let me let you talk to Diane because she's the one that really runs that. So there's a story forthcoming. I think about so many people that have done so much through the years in our church, Dwayne and Sandy Goss, Brian and Liz Fields, Mike and Marcia Farmer, Kent and Anita Hill. You guys remember when we started this renovation, I was in a long-range planning committee meeting, and I said we were going to be doing this renovation. Kent came to me afterwards and said, hey, I'll help with anything that you need related to that, and that's kind of his background. And I said, do you mean that? He goes, absolutely, I'll help with anything. I said, great, you lead the renovation, and I'll pastor the church. And that's what we did. And he added years to my life and probably years to my pastorate. So you might want to get after him about that. I think about Steve and Connie Sewell. And I think about all that they've done. They, all the landscaping stuff, the groups they've gotten together to take care of that. Steve led with the renovation of uh, the education building. I think about what they're doing in Sunday school. I think about Bobby and Jennifer Higgins and Upward Ministry and all that that's about. I think about Ralph and Lavinna Rush. I think we could talk about the wines, the wine family and all that they do. In fact, every time I'm here, whether it's early in the morning or late at night, Bruce Wine is always in the building. I'm convinced he has a secret apartment in the attic that I just don't know about. We could talk about Joyce and Monty Thompson or John and Pat Kern. In addition to our staff, Diane, Jessica, Laura, Chloe, Carlene, Tyson, Travis, and Ron, I could talk about all of our deacons, all of them. 
I could talk about our trustees, our ushers, our tech committee, our properties committee, our projection team, our hospitality team, our cemetery management team, our decoration team, our insurance committee, personnel committee, our teachers, worship leaders, our long-range planning team, all the committees and working teams, men's ministry, women's ministry, children's ministry, the Christmas gathering ladies, counting committee, management team, Awana workers, emergency response team, youth ministry teams, the Lydia Sewing Group, Upward Workers Bereavement Team, and of course, the people in the nursery. (laughs) We could pause and give thanks to God for all, all that is done. Now, I'm running out of time, so I can't go on with names, but you understand each of you, each of you is vital. In fact, I could just about go row by row. I could go row by row and mention names and talk about things that you guys have done to make a difference for the kingdom of God as it sort of emanates from this place. But kickoff is at 325. (laughs) So whether it's been helping to organize an activity or going with me on an evangelistic visit or praying with me for the needs of our people or picking up trash on the parking lot, you guys have helped storm hell with a water pistol. Paul could not have loved the church at Corinth more than I love the church at Kearney. So Paul's clarification, Paul's exhortation, Paul's commendation. Fourthly and finally, Paul's salutation. Aren't you glad I have a thesaurus? (laughs) Verse 19 to the end. The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prissa or Priscilla, some other translations, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We shake hands and hug for the most part. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. He wanted them to know that this was coming from him. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Anathema, our Lord, come. Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul's salutation. Paul finishes by reminding them of several things. Interestingly enough, some of the better manuscripts don't contain the word amen or amen at the end, which would make Paul's last words connect to his ongoing central theme throughout the entire letter, in Christ. My love be with you in Christ Jesus. David Nacelli offers what I think is a great summation of these verses. In fact, I think it's a fitting way to conclude Paul's letter. Getting back to the theme of love, Paul reminds his readers that they should love their spiritual family. They should love the church. I remind you, you should love your church. We should love our church, love one another. And in this final section, a kind of housekeeping section, if you will, Paul highlights how we should demonstrate our love for the family of God. And I have to tell you, even as I contemplated this list, I was filled with a healthy pride because of the way this church family loves. So see where you see yourself and your church family in this list as I close what the church does, by giving money generously to those with physical needs, by showing hospitality to those passing through, by maturing in purity and unity, that is, by maturing in love, by submitting to church leaders, 
by feeling affection for brothers and sisters in other places when they greet them and thus remind them that they care, by greeting each other affectionately, by loving the Lord, awaiting His return eagerly, maturing by means of grace, and warmly receiving love from spiritual shepherds. And to all that Paul has said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and in fact throughout the entirety of this letter, as we have been reminded from all the way back in chapter 1, we are called to be saints together. Called to be saints together. And to that, I trust you join me in saying a hearty amen. You've been listening to Stand Forever with Ken Parker. Thank you for taking the time to join us. If you'd like to correspond with us, feel free to email from the contact information found on our church website, www.carneyfbc.com, or write to us at Stand Forever, 303 South Grove Street, Kearney, Missouri, 64060.